Well, welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 235 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a deep dive into third-party risk management. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, coming to you from sunny, sunny Sicily in Italy. Uh, I have the good fortune of being able to work from here. Uh, for the next few months, and uh, it's a beautiful place and a wonderful place. And uh, if you are in any way traveling in Italy or have a chance to come to Sicily, please let me know. Love to uh, host you, talk to you, meet you, have a coffee, uh, enjoy the beautiful food, the beautiful scenery, and the beautiful people here in Sicily. Well, um, I wanted to, and I ran a series on uh, on the blog about uh, third-party risk management, and I, for whatever reason, uh, it came up again in terms of, you know, catching up with what's going on uh, in this area, and I thought it would be good to sort of discuss this on the podcast as well. Um, I also am really excited uh, to announce uh, a new sponsor. Uh, which is Diligent, the corporate board service company, but also now Par- Steel was acquired by Diligent. And uh, really happy to have Diligent as a new uh, corporate sponsor of uh, the podcast and the blog. And uh, so let's hear a word uh, from them before we get started. Diligent is the time-tested, award-winning provider of automated governance, risk, and compliance solutions. For over 20 years, Diligent has helped boards and C-suites to design and implement effective governance practices through its market-leading board application. Diligent has now expanded its offerings to include risk, compliance, and audit solutions. Building on these new and exciting capabilities, Diligent now offers the critical capability to connect boards, C-suite, risk, compliance, and audit teams to promote purpose-driven leadership. Building on this capability, Diligent provides a full suite of complementary services including risk management, ethics and compliance, environmental, social, and governance, and proactive auditing strategies and practices. Diligent solutions enable companies to implement robust corporate governance to mitigate and manage risk, create a culture of ethics and compliance, ensure that company controls are audit-ready, and implement tailored and responsive ESG solutions. If interested in exploring Diligent's unique complement of solutions, please reach out to Diligent at its website, www.diligent.com. Well, thank you again to uh, Diligent uh, for uh, its new sponsorship. And let's turn to third-party risk issues and try to get back uh, onto the real world perspective. And uh, one of the things that motivated me was uh, I saw a marketing and promotion for um, a third party risk management conference. And I, try, and, I, and, and I tried to read the message and tried to understand what the conference was about. And uh, to be honest with you, Uh, I was sort of struck by the disconnect between what the conference was promoting in terms of what was going to happen at this and and the real-world practical solutions that are needed for 
uh, companies who were trying to address their third-party risks and searching for real-world solutions. In other words, I've been involved uh, and our firm has been involved with an, a number of clients in implementing, uh, let's say, automated solutions. And in doing that, we've sort of learned and have worked hand-in-hand -hand with compliance professionals and how to address really the third-party risks. And it just seemed to me that some of the platitudes and general statements, you know, while theoretically nice and great uh, and aspirational, um, that there's a real disconnect between what's needed on the ground to get people, on, to get them to implement uh, automated uh, solutions, use data analytics in a real and positive way, auditing and monitoring services as well. So this was the inspiration for sort of my, my writing uh, about this. And, and I think it's also come up in a, in a more important way than ever before. Um, and that is to look at what's happened, um, you know, in the global economy. We've had two significant shocks, obviously. First, the pandemic sent shockwaves through every organization. And then now we have the war in Ukraine. And both of these e events have exposed uh, the importance, yet again, of risk management, especially with regard to your supply chain and distribution operations. So now uh, we hear a lot more about, and I think this is a, a great concept, the, the description of what's called holistic third-party risk management. So reality has in injected and forced change here, and we're now experiencing significant adjustments to overall risk management procedures because uh, there has to be, beyond legal and compliance risks, we have new disruptive risks that have to be identified, quantified, ranked, and then addressed. Uh, and at the heart of every risk management system is a simple proposition. Every organization has limited resources to dedicate to third-party risk management, and therefore any system has to be based on a risk-based priority system. In other words, when designing a third-party risk management system, legal and compliance professionals have to allocate resources based on a priority system that is key to uh, risk ranking uh, specific categories and populations and operations which requires merging uh, some procurement uh, some uh, management functions, business management functions that depend upon third parties. Um, so it's not feasible to design and implement a system that eliminates all risks. We're always trying to get down to a manageable residual risk. Uh, and a risk-based system by definition leaves every ethics and compliance program with exposure. And uh, the overarching question then is always, what types of risk and how much? So uh, let's take a moment just to talk about what our real third-party risks are. Um, you know, compliance professionals through the years recently have devoted a lot of energy to building partnerships with the business, which is terrific. And they should continue, uh, and compliance I know will continue to build a strong relationship because there's a meaningful value add. And this was process was accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic and the Ukraine crisis, as well as sort of increasing cyber risks stemming from data breaches and ransomware attacks. 
All of this highlighted the importance of uh, crisis response and handling of disruptive impact of events outside the organization's control. And companies that responded nimbly, adjusted to the COVID impact, uh, and built a supply chain with appropriate redundancies and risk-based alternatives achieved what I call uh, or label as organizational resilience. The ability to respond to risks and build and adapt new systems uh, in a changing economy. So now, uh, for example, there, uh, and we have new proposed regulations, we're going to be facing a new and significant challenge uh, stemming from climate change and the regulations that the SEC uh, is likely to impose. Climate change, depending on a profile, can have a real and significant uh, impact on a company. There's no question about it. So depending basically upon uh, your company's risk profile with regard to weather events or climate change uh, consequences, that will affect your risk profile going forward. No question about that again. That's two no questions. Um, so we have to look at the real world implications then of our third party population. Uh, if our third parties are providing operational resiliency and protection against devastating uh, impacts of certain events, uh, they have to be managed in a holistic manner, more than just legal and compliance risks, and those I you know, label as FCPA, sanctions, money laundering, and cyber risks. Holistic uh, risk management means operational concerns that may threaten the company's ability to produce goods and or provide services. And the Ukraine crisis in particular demonstrated just how important this holistic perspective is to an organization's resiliency. Within a short time period, global companies were losing access, for example, to important business partners who may have been connected to Russia. In just hours after, after a particular entity was designated as a prohibited party or types of transactions were restricted, companies were scrambling to identify alternatives. And this quickly exposed weaknesses in a company's supply chain. Um, and this is where legal and compliance can come in and play a great role. CCOs are natural partners for the business to identify these potential risks, manage them, and maintain data connected to these essential third parties. And the CCOs have to be closely aligned with procurement managers to support their planning and day-to-day -day operations by providing current information on legal status, identifying alternatives, and quickly providing due diligence or, on, or, or relevant information and analysis for onboarding, let's say, new third parties uh, that have to be in, uh, adopted quickly because of a crisis. And many businesses went through that process in response to the COVID pandemic when some third parties were forced to shut down. Uh, or even discontinue operations because of the impact of COVID. Again, companies scrambled to identify alternative sources, uh, and that's when compliance was called upon to support these efforts uh, of the business to adapt. Uh, and CCOs can use this experience to gain credibility and support from the business and uh, the managers, uh, and uh, CCOs already know the importance of reputational risks, and they can bring sort of their knowledge uh, to the equation as well. Um, so uh, there's part of the identification and risk ranking and navigation of all of these risks 
requires this holistic uh, perspective. So one other upside, I mean, I know I've been talking here about the sort of downsides of reputational disruptions, uh, uh, economic dislocation. But let's take this moment also to look at third-party risks, but look at your third-party population as an opportunity to advance your culture. And that's an important consideration. It's a big positive upside, and it's a big overarching sort of concern here of managing your third-party po population. After all, a large number of third parties represent your organization, such as agents, distributors, and resellers in the marketplace and frequently interact with company customers. So instead of looking at the downside of this situation, the upside is while they create certain legal risks, they can be managed to promote your company's culture and should reflect an onboarding and due diligence process that's designed uh, you want to make sure that you ensure that your third-party population operates consistently with your ethics and culture requirements. In other words, these are advocates. These are promoters of your own culture. And this is an important opportunity to extend your company's culture in the marketplace. A starting point, therefore, is to identify expectations for conduct by your third parties in the marketplace. And I always look to, and I've seen more and more clients and companies building a guiding set of principles uh, and outline this in uh, either as a vendor or a distributor code of conduct. This is, and there usually are two documents on the sort of upstream and the downstream in terms of a distributor code of conduct and a vendor supplier code of conduct. These outline important principles that govern the relationship between your organization and third parties and include representations that can then be referenced in commercial contractual agreements. Companies should review these documents and specific contracts and purchase order forms to incorporate, uh, incorporate salient points to underscore the importance of the company's ethics and culture as well as reference to contractual provisions. Uh, and companies should also look for opportunities to promote these important ideas. Uh, that there are robust training programs are required for relevant third parties to communicate the importance of the company's ethics and compliance commitments. And this should be reinforced by obviously third party certifications as to adherence to the company's code of conduct and values. Many companies also hold annual meetings of its distributors and sales agents or even regional ones uh, in various parts of the world as an important way to coordinate business opportunities and make sure that there is adequate time given to the compliance professionals to either conduct training or also to give a general talk about how important ethics and compliance is and have it reinforced by senior management. These are important events and frequently they bolster commercial and compliance performance by third parties. Annual meetings uh, build loyalty, uh, they build commitment, uh, and they also uh, are an important opportunity to reinforce important principles to the companies. Companies also that have a defined ethical culture have to make sure that their third party risk management policies and procedures are consistent with the importance that the company has designated or allocated to its culture through the onboarding oversight and auditing process. So it's an, 
even in the way that you onboard uh, companies and third parties, there's ways to communicate the message and reinforce the message of adherence to ethics and culture. Proactive companies uh, really do view the onboarding process as an opportunity to communicate to the third party the importance of ethics and corporate culture and values. Once the onboarding process has been completed, a contract is executed, let's say an initial training session and orientation would be another valuable practice, although sub such uh, requirements may bump against the reality of expedited onboarding and immediate business interactions. But there is no reason that such interactions could not occur simultaneously or close in time with training and orientation. So let's now turn uh, again and dig into a little bit more on understanding our third party population. We've sort of talked about the downsides, uh, why we're here and talking about this, and the upside opportunity with regard to advancing your culture. Um, for large global companies, uh, identifying and understanding your third po party population is uh, is not an easy issue. I can always recall that Tyco, for example, years ago, took them three years supposedly to identify all their third parties in their population. Some companies do not have a readily available a list nor an understanding of the size and scope of their third party population, and that can be an initial hurdle unto itself. So the first step usually involves some kind of collection of third party information, which requires usually coordination with various business partners uh, throughout the globe and in, by regions. Uh, and this is a, a real challenge. Uh, and then once we start to get this information, we look at what I call uh, classification and stratification uh, and slicing and dicing the population. So we carve out those third parties that are involved, let's say, in the sales side, that being distributors, agents, resellers, and with whom the sales side typically interacts on a regular basis. And second, uh, I usually take the supplier vendor side and put them into categories and usually initially divide the vendor supplier side into two broad categories, which is often used by many in the procurement business, which is direct and indirect vendors and suppliers. Direct vendors are usually those who provide raw materials and other inputs needed to manufacture specific goods. Indirect vendors are those that provide other categories of services and support for uh, the business operations, including professional services, customs, logistics, administrative services, consultants, and other relevant uh, indirect categories. But the definition and the dividing and creation of categories takes time. And I would urge you to take the time because the more time that you take in fashioning this, the easier it is and coordinate with the business so that the categories are familiar and understandable to the business. Um, and it's important in building a defined classification system that legal and compliance has to understand exactly how the business operates, what the specific role of the third party is, and uh, what uh, exactly where it fits into the business operations. Uh, and this process is really a very educational and a good one, and you cannot skip over it. You have to put in the time to talk to your business partners. Once the categories are defined and assigned, then you have to look at potential risks. 
operational in the sense of disruption. Uh, in other words, operational resiliency, your legal, your cyber, and other specific type of factors. From an operational view, third parties have to be graded for their overall importance to the supply or distribution chain. An exclusive distributor, distributor in a country or region will carry significant weight in a risk score, as will a vendor responsible for delivery of an essential input. As part of this overall analysis, sales and procurement managers need to coordinate and support compliance or provide access uh, to relevant information on these issues. The compliance team also has to examine and identify legal risks. And here we get into our old familiars, anti-corruption, money laundering, antitrust, sanctions, export controls, and cyber risks. And here we have to collaborate in a defining and assessing these risks, including trade compliance, procurement, sales channels, managers, and information technology. And this partnership brings together legal and compliance experts to assess the importance of specific risk factors and strategies for uncovering these risks. We know all the usual issues for examination the business justification for engaging a third party, the role of the third party, the need for the third party, the beneficial owners of the third party, the reputation of the third party, the proposed compensation, billing, and payment arrangements, the nature of the legal relationship, whether the third party, and this is a critical issue, is representing the company with uh, government officials, and the third party's reputation for ethics and compliance, the information technology systems and cyber protections of data stored and transmitted by a third party and the third party's existing ethics and compliance program. While everyone is familiar with this list of information, the key inquiry, however, is how to use this information to evaluate specific risks. Anti-corruption risks extend to situations in which a government official or close family member maintains any ownership interest in a third party. Sanctions risk may require examining beneficial interests as well in order to apply the 50% rule. And of course, any relationship with a third party could raise reputational risks. Now the third party population presents a unique set of risk factors that often are segregated by geographic issues. For example, what's the corruption risk in a certain country or uh, in a sanctions context, what's the proximity to, let's say, North Korea. Types of third parties, what the expectation of interactions with government officials on behalf of the company are going to be in a representative capacity or not, and annual revenue figures as a proxy, uh, proxy measure for the number of interactions and amount of risks. Some of these basic factors should be assessed in relation to the specific risk Vendors and suppliers located in North Korea, for example, create risks of sourcing materials from North Korea as part of the company's supply chain. Companies operating in high-risk corruption countries or high-risk industries create a far different risk profile than those operating in low-risk corruption countries. So the conduct of due diligence for the onboarding purposes is not a scientific inquiry. It requires discretion and exercise of judgment. There are some hard and fast rules, but most often the company has to apply its own risk tolerance to issues that present careful balancing requirements. 
So let's talk now a little bit about mitigation and monitoring and, uh, and close out here. And it's easy to be overwhelmed by your overall risk profile for your third-party population. You can drive yourself crazy. And the best way to tackle the problem is by defining specific problems and risks and then analyzing a subset of third parties as to the specific problem or risk. The businesses can help guide uh, and provide valuable input for this inquiry, especially procurement professionals who should be familiar with the direct and indirect population and the need for specific vendors and suppliers and the overall importance of the specific vendors, products, or services. So this requires a complete understanding of the company's manufacturing or service provider uh, operations and where each vendor category fits in as to importance, geographic location, and commercial relationship. On the legal side, there are various key issues that have to be examined to unearth relevant risks and considerations. And I've already mentioned in the classic example is, does the third party interact with government officials on behalf of the company? This inquiry is critical concerning representation because it's a quick and significant way to classify those third parties that present a significant risk and focus in the area on anti-corruption. Within that category of third parties, the inquiry then leads to an additional layers of risks relating to types of interactions. Customs, sales, tenders to government, regulatory inquiries, payment of form and taxes, beneficial ownership, countries of operation, prior history of corruption, legal status and documentation. While this may sound simplistic, the key here is to consistently address and measure these issues across the relevant segment of third-party population and apply risk ranking weights to uh, allocate risk among the third parties. With respect to sanctions risks, geographic locations, obviously, of the third parties, uh, the specific role of the third party, are they a distributor or vendor, carries distinct risks, as does annual revenue as a key factor for, proxy, for a proxy for frequency and importance of transactions. To identify potential prohibited or restricted parties, again, beneficial ownership is critical. So depending on the level and overall specific risk factors, mitigation strategies should be designed to reduce specific risks to acceptable levels. Contractual representations and assurances are, of course, important, but we all have observed too many cases where such representations are easily secured but have no meaningful impact on third-party behavior. Nonetheless, it's an important first step, especially where contractual representations address a specific risk identified during the onboarding process. The game-changing practice, however, is in the adoption of proactive monitoring strategies that respond to specific risks. Let me give you a few examples. One, end-user certificates and documentation reviews to ensure that third-party distributors do not sell products to prohibited countries, entities, or individuals. Two, financial transactions sampling to monitor transactions between the company and the third party and then the subsequent resale of products to the end user customer. And three, high-risk partnerships and in-person inquiries concerning interactions between company and third party. Without belittling other monitoring systems, such as adverse media notifications and alerts, 
The bread and butter of monitoring requires getting into the trenches. This means sampling specific high-risk transactions to examine documentation and certification compliance. Following the money is a time-tested and relevant way to stay on top of your third party and dedicating personal time and effort to managing high-risk third parties is a productive strategy for unearthing, unearthing risky uh, developments. Remote monitoring strategies such as transaction and financial sampling is the best way to identify potential irregularities. This inquiry usually leads to additional questions uh, and issues of concern and third-party misconduct can be hidden and false documentation can be used to avoid scrutiny, but often there are subtle but important signs of such behavior. Often what starts out as a routine follow-up will lead to exposure of a big problem. So aside from proactive monitoring strategies that's tailored to your higher-risk third parties, an overall audit program and strategy for third parties can be used to supplement overall third-party risks. For example, if your company has a small number of high-risk third parties, a rotating schedule of formal audits may be applied. In these days of remote connections, a formal audit does not require boots on the ground. There are a number of tasks, including interviews, uh, remote access to data and downloading, uh, which can be used to save time and money, and financial data is usually accessible remotely. Um, they have their limitations, these remote audits, but given the difficulty of travel and expense, uh, such audits may become more the norm than the exception. For lower third-party risks uh, there, uh, that have not been identified through any proactive mo monitoring strategy, the time for assessment and reevaluation usually arises when the third-party contract expires, assuming there is a contract. At renewal, a fresh examination and assessment may be conducted and third-party risk can then be evaluated again with any new measures as needed to mitigate risks. Well, I know that was a long, long discussion. Thank you again for listening. Thanks for uh, your support. We appreciate it. Third parties are a continuing complex issue, and we appreciate uh, your time, and hopefully this was helpful to you. And we'll see you uh, hopefully next week from beautiful Sicily uh, on uh, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com.